0: back to the big program coming up to 10 o'clock in the City of Champions. Kevin Carey's show on Sports 1440. Tons of texts coming in still. Bad Talks says, I love the Oilers. They have definitely been entertaining, good or bad, over the years. I'm so happy that they are here in Edmonton. They are my team to cheer or jeer for. We are so fortunate. Can you imagine winter in Edmonton without the Oilers? Thanks. Bad Talks. Herm Hordell comes through again. Kevin, please say a special hello to Wilf. We played together with the Fort Saskatchewan Huskies. And yes, Hitch shared, sharpened my goal skates. Great memories. Thanks, Herm Hordell. So let's go in the community for United Sport & Cycle. Uh, You can save up to 35% off right now, United Sport & Cycle. your home of hockey for over 95 years. And we didn't really know that we were going to have this kind of connection. But we do bring in Wilf Brooks from United Sport & Cycle back in the day. Good morning, Wilf. How are you?
1: I'm fine. I'm fine. Good morning to you, too, sir.
0: So, you've been uh, the reason I got you on and I talked to you yesterday is that you've been friends with Ken Hitchcock for a long, long time. Ken Hitchcock going into the Hockey Hall of Fame tonight. Do you remember the first time you met Hitch?
1: Well, it would be him coming in the store and uh, standing there like a few great people we hired over the years and wondering and wanting to be part of United, I guess, would be the best way I can say it. So eventually the best way to solve that is just hire them.
0: (laughs) And look at him now. He's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. You've got to be really proud, happy, excited for an old friend.
1: You know, the whole family, the United family, our Brooks family and extended are all very happy, excited, and very proud of Ken as well we we feel we're we're there with him.
0: So when you hired him, he was just, you know, a young, young guy trying to find his way. Could you see something special in him, Wilf, that he wanted to get involved in hockey, in coaching, and also more importantly, more involved in the community?
1: Well, ironically I coached against it one year out in Sherwood Park when we first moved out there. Yeah. And just touched him a bit there, but what I didn't see Ken saw more probably in what he could take or wanted in United than I saw in Ken because mm-hmm. it was Ken who, who led the way to that. What what I soon learned was he was open, he wanted knowledge, uh and I figured out fairly early on that in from his time his dad passed he was raised by the community, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But as a young man, he knew the knowledge he needed uh, came from those before him. And he was very open and willing to learn.
0: Wilf Brooks with us on Sports 1440. So when you got even like in the community and things like that, Wilf, how did Ken get involved? I you, you mean, Sports Central, things, you know, the charities and everything like that. Uh, Can you touch on that and the importance of what you saw from a person trying to make Edmonton better?
1: Sure. Every time there was a project wanting to happen, usually new initiatives. United was generally around the edge of it. But Ken, he jumped in. With Sports Central, he gave of himself early, even though he was off coaching in Philadelphia. I remember he brought the name Hockey Central to me in a hotel in Toronto we were just coming up with the idea then at Sports Central or many other causes, Mm -hmm. Ken would give of himself like it was lunch with Hitch or it was a golf tournament but he also was always looking out around the corner trying to figure out how to bring the game to the community and the community to the game he did this down in Dallas Uh, he did this in many ways, one that was close to myself was we have a cabin up in an indigenous community of Calling Lake, Alberta. And Ken didn't hesitate to take a week in 2013 Mm -hmm. and help lead an elite hockey camp that in his way had to be connected to the community and all the young kids in the community had to be on the ice as well every day. So he just does it naturally. And I think some of that came from the time he spent on the outdoor ice at Otwell. You learn so much around the rink when you keep your ears open.
0: Sherwood Parks, Ken Hitchcock is going into the Hockey Hall of Fame tonight. We're speaking with Wolf Brooks, longtime friend and, I guess, boss of Hitch when he was at uh, United Sport and Cycle. So, Wolf was... Uh, and I, if you haven't had the chance for our listeners, uh, check out an unbelievable article that Jim Matheson put together on Ken Hitchcock and, you know, his past and everything like that. Just a remarkable article. But in that article, Wilf, you're you're quoted as saying, hey, Ken didn't sharpen as many skates as everyone thought he did. What's that all about?
1: Well, Ken, when he got to the store and got working, he did some retail, but he very soon... Uh, saw his place, he hooked on to the team sales. He wanted to meet with the clubs. He wanted to be close to the people delivering the game. Now, uh, United became quite popular for its ability to sharpen skates. Mm-hmm. That goes way back to the 40s when they did the skates for the Edmonton Oilers, or not Oilers, but the Golden Bears and yeah. the Flyers. So That became one of our key things. And for some reason, it started getting quoted that Ken would sharpen Mark (laughs) Messier's skates and Ken would do this and that. We often chuckle about it because even Ken said that became folklore. We never let him near the grinder, to be
0: honest. <laughs> That's good stuff as we got Wilf Brooks on the line on Sports 1440. What did you see as a young guy, Wilf, with the evolution of Ken once he started coaching? You know, short, bark, midget, and then went to Kamloops and, you know, the World Juniors. What did you see in the evolution of a, a guy trying to cut his teeth and make his mark?
1: Probably what we noticed early, and uh, he would um, reach out. He would learn. He was never afraid to learn, and he hooked on to those before him. Now, what I saw in him was his ability to get Mm buy-in. When Ken locked in on something that he thought needed to be done or was important, he could get others to buy into it, whether it was a community event, whether it was some way of coaching, Uh, he would soon get a crowd around him, and they'd be buying into what he had uh, to offer. And if it didn't work, he could course-correct real quick. Hmm. Um, He could mess up an order and mess it up two or three times. And by the time we got it straightened out, he was a hero. Mm -hmm. I used to always scratch my head about that one. But that's a gift he had.
0: How did he get... People to, I guess, follow him. If you know, coaches are leaders; they're teachers. How did he get people to buy into what he was selling? I guess. Uh,
1: I think probably one of his skills to go along with his charisma was that he'd reach into the dressing room. Uh, I remember when he first got the job in Dallas. He mm-hmm. was in the store a couple of weeks later. They were playing the Oilers, and I asked him. I said, "What are you going to do?" He said. Uh, I'm going to hook my wagon on to and we're going to have to figure out how he's going to lead this team to a Stanley Cup. And I noticed when I read the article how I think it was Daryl Ray mm-hmm. uh, drew attention to that. And, um, you know, leaders by committee, uh, that was a strength Ken had. And um, it didn't matter whether they were younger or older than Ken. He treated them all the same and respected them all the same.
0: Wilf Brooks with us on Sports 1440. Did you see any change in Ken after he became a successful NHL coach to the guy that you knew, I don't know, that was working at the store or starting to coach in Sherwood Park or going to all the the Claire Drake symposiums and things like that? Was there a change in him?
1: Possibly a little more self-discipline. He started to think more about, Uh, what this was going to take to have life at it. Um, It was obvious by his attention to his weight. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think the change I saw more than anything was that he started to think more about Ken and his very close friends and family. He never left them. If anything, he drew them around him. And uh, I think that was a big asset for Ken and uh, obviously for those he loved. So that would be the biggest thing. He he found his roots, found mm-hmm. his family.
0: You know, there's no reason, uh, no, uh, no doubt that he has a, a magnetic personality. Will for sure. Did you see that early on, or was that something that just sort of kind of he acquired and built over the years?
1: No, he brought it with him. That is a gift people have, and it depends how they use the gift. I've seen it many times with many people over the years. I've seen it destroy people. Uh, uh, if you can pick it out, Ken's got that mag- magnetic form about him, and it didn't take long to figure it out, and he's not somebody you boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, people called me his boss. I was never his boss. <laughs> the customers were always the boss anyways, but Ken just was Ken. He wanted to lead. He wanted to coach. Uh, it didn't matter what you did or said with Ken. Ken was going to be in charge. And people bought into that, obviously.
0: What did you think, Wilf, about his, I guess, thirst for knowledge? I mean, we touched on it a little bit about, you know, every coaching clinic that Claire Drake put on and every time, you know, he had a a lunch break or whatever from United that he would head down to Claire Drake Arena and then just watch the Bears' practices, go to Oilers' practices and and kind of try to immerse himself into that to get as much knowledge as he possibly could moving forward.
1: Well, uh, knowledge is king, of course, and uh, Jen chased it. He chased it all the time. If a customer come in the store and was wanting to make a purchase of some kind and Ken saw that the guy knew something that he didn't, he was all over that. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted to know everything about everything. And um, I don't know how he could retain it all, but he I will give him credit for having uh, as close to a photographic memory if you're mm-hmm. going to have. And he never forgot a name, but more importantly, he never forgot a person. Uh, He uh, worked with a lot of people over the years. And often, you know, there's people out there who will take what they want from someone and move on. Well, Ken never left any of those connections behind. They always came with him. So he packed a lot of knowledge around in friends. It was never more than a phone call away.
0: Mm -hmm. What did you think, Wilf, when he was named the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, what did he say to you about that opportunity that he was given here in his hometown?
1: Oh, it might have been something like, I'm not quite sure if I'm (laughs) jumping into the fire here or the frying pan. (laughs) And uh, Ken did not have that one figured out. I know that. And he also knew he was coming in to help out for a period of time. Ken was already looking for that next step in his life where he could be the coach's coach Mm -hmm. and he's not a manager. Uh, Like he couldn't manage a wheelbarrow to a funeral downhill all the way to quote my father, but he could coach and to separate the two is an amazing thing. And he just loves to coach. He loves to lead. He, you know, it, it, when he got into that military stuff he was doing, I'm sure he couldn't get stripes on his arms fast enough. And that's a sign of a good leader. So coming into the Oilers, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what he thought in depth on that one because it, it came on him all of a sudden. Just all of a sudden they called and there he is. And uh, But he was there. To fill in for a period of time, I think um, it just is what it was. I I don't know. I don't think the Oilers were looking for a long time, Mm -hmm. and I don't think he was looking for a long time at that time. But you'd have to ask Ken more about that.
0: Wilf Brooks with us on Sports 1440. So you did mention the military angle with Ken. Big Civil War buff and did a lot of things in that uh, sense. Did he ever ask you to come along to one of those things where he did the reenactments and maybe make you like a lieutenant or something?
1: <laughs> no, he kept that independent. Uh he even owned his own horse for a while, if you can believe that. <laughs> but uh, he had it in a barn somewhere, and uh, it was just something that Ken hooked on to. We shared the love of history together, but uh, Ken would get pretty serious pretty quick about anything he got involved in. Mm-hmm. If he came up to our cabin at the lake, he right away wanted to go play in the mud like the rest of the guys. He, he, he just likes to be a part of whatever he gets involved in, and he I guess there's a term it's uh, hard to be half pregnant um, when you take on something and Ken would be all in or not in. He worked with high level military. Mm-hmm. He worked with so many different organizations that he was blessed uh, to hook on to or who found him because they had so much in common. They wanted to achieve more.
0: You know, in the Jim Matheson article we were talking about it, uh, that was uh, done uh, last week, it appeared in online. Shame on the Edmonton Journal for not printing this in the paper. Can Come on, give me a break. Anyway, um, one of the quotes that he had in the article was about the fact that he would go and cover, or not cover, he would go and learn at uh, teams in Europe, handball, soccer teams, he would go there and, and just absorb any information. And then he goes... I don't know, uh, I've watched Ted Lasso three times. I don't know who wrote it, but they sure knew what a team is all about. That's kind of how Ken was, is.
1: Well, yeah, he would call. We'd be in touch all the time, and he'd be off to Europe, or he'd be off to somewhere to, to either learn or teach. And um, he, if he was brought in to be a teacher, so to speak, or talk to mm-hmm. something about the first thing he'd want to do is know more about what they're doing. And when you go in a corporate boardroom and you want to know more about the company that you're bought to talk to, that's a character and you learn. And he has a lot of friends from all walks of life, you know, Mm -hmm. because of his willingness to learn what they're about. And uh, it just um, never quit resonating, I guess, with Ken. He didn't look to the hockey rink to learn. He Mm -hmm. looked everywhere to learn.
0: Hey, Wilf, so nice catching up with you. Thanks for coming on today. I'm sure you're keeping track of the Oilers and the situation and hoping everything works out there. Uh, hope all is well with you.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. And, yeah, we're all Oiler fans. Uh, that's what Northern Alberta is.
0: You betcha. Yeah. And and great work for all the stuff and the years that you've done for our community. It uh, does not go unnoticed. Thanks a lot, Wilf.
1: Well, I appreciate that. You have a good day, Kevin.
0: You too. That's Wilf Brooks, uh, former United Cycle owner and in the community for United Sport and & Cycle. And we didn't really put that together. That just kind of all came together. Uh, United Sport & Cycle, uh, a fourth-generation family owned and operated business in the heart of old Strathcona. When we come back, we will, uh, we're going to talk something other than hockey, Duke, for 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> uh, Brandon Crystal, the Denver Broncos reporter, as the Broncos get set for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, well, I don't even know how to talk about this. But it's been three hours, 20 minutes of straight Oilers, Duke, but you might have to jump in. We'll see how it goes. Uh, that's coming up right after the break on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now to talk something other than hockey. We've only done it for three hours and 20 minutes, straight Oilers, as we welcome in uh, covering the Denver Broncos, Brandon Crystal. Brandon, welcome to... Sports 1440, I heard you talking with our producer, the Duke, Brandon Douglas, about uh, hockey. I mean, we could talk a little hockey, but I think we should maybe just go to a little football. How's that sound?
2: Hey, I'm, I'm fine <laughs> hopping in on the Broncos. I'm scratching my head, and I don't want to pretend that I'm some hockey expert. I've never pretended to be. The Dallas Stars got to town when I was in about ninth grade, uh, they're growing up in, in the Metroplex. So I love going to hockey games. I've had a lot of fun covering the abs over the years. Got to know some of the guys back in the day, the Ryan O'Reilly's of the world mm-hmm. and Paul Stasny's. And and look, had a fun time covering that run. I don't know how they keep getting shut out or how they lose 8-2. <laughs> I'm not sure how to fix it when they've got Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon. So that'll be the end of my hockey talk because I've only been down there a few times. I've been at the Broncos most of my days saving up for nuggets and that playoff run. So if you've got your hockey fill and I just covered it in about 45 seconds, we can focus on the big Monday night matchup.
0: You know, Brandon, I'll tell you what, if you were up here, you would your head would be spinning as well and trying to find answers because we've been trying to find the answers to a lot of questions and of course you know what's been happening up here with the Oilers, but yes, it's nice to talk a little football and yes, uh, Monday night football, Denver and Buffalo tonight. You know, the teams in the AFC West, all of a sudden, you know, Vegas is humming along with a couple of wins, and it's been, you know, I mean, everyone knew the Chiefs were going to be what they are, but the Chargers, 4-5 and now after a loss to Detroit. uh, Where do you see Denver kind of fitting in this picture as far as the AFC West goes? I feel like, uh,
2: and I know this will sound like a cop-out, Kevin, I feel like we'll know a lot more later tonight okay. after that game is over. And and I'm not trying to say that I don't understand where the Broncos are headed and the direction Sean Payton's trying to take them in and the pieces they have that they're looking to build around and the pieces that are likely just stop gaps or or players that they're gonna move on from or upgrade at, at spots. But we've seen them start to come together. They had such a disastrous Couple early games and, and none worse than obviously losing 70 to 20 in Miami, giving up 726 yards, I think was the the final count to the Dolphins. And that day they were without three key starters all up the middle of the defense in their nose tackle and linebacker Josie Jewell and, of course, all pro safety Justin Simmons. But their offense has been solid. They've been running the ball well. Russell Wilson. Kind of looks like the Russell Wilson we saw in Seattle. I think it was because everything was so bad last year that now the scrutiny is, is so much higher. But his numbers are better than a lot of quarterbacks. He's in the top five in a bunch of categories. He's got 16 touchdowns, only four interceptions. So they're trending in the right direction. A win over the Bills puts him square in the middle of this very jumbled AFC playoff picture. A loss doesn't eliminate them, but with what you just mentioned, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Texans certainly coming on, and they're going to be in Houston in a few weeks in early December. The Vikings, you thought you might have caught a break when Kirk Cousins gets hurt, and they're not cheering for that, but you just didn't know what it would be. Now with Josh Dobbs, when they come to town next week for Sunday Night Football, that's not going to be an easy game, and they go to Detroit in in December as well. So there are only a couple of easy games on the schedule. Maybe the easiest is the Patriots Christmas Eve, but – it's a long answer to who are they. They're a team still in transition, but when you beat the defending champs, you hold Patrick Mahomes in two games in 18 days, there's just one touchdown. Mm-hmm. Despite those weapons and despite how good that defense is, and you, and you can beat them, then you can go on the road and win at Buffalo and you can beat anyone. The question is how many games can they reel off, whether it be in a row or just realistically, to try to get into the playoff mix. A win tonight certainly does that. A loss makes it a lot, lot harder.
0: Brandon Crystal covers the Denver Broncos. He's on Sports 1440, the Kevin Carey Show. So, Brandon, that loss to Miami in week three, 70-20. But since then, a 3-2 and two record and some big wins, as you mentioned, one of them over Kansas City. Was that the time where everyone just kind of looked in the mirror and said, what are we doing here? We're way better than this. Because since then, they've been a pretty decent football team.
2: Well, I, I think so, and it's because they had a couple of silly losses early. They had the Raiders beat in in the opener and, and let a late drive and a, a field goal cost in that game. They were up 21-3 on Washington in Week 2 here in Denver and let that game slip away. They were losing to the Bears and then figured it out in Chicago. But those first two games, and then a loss to the Jets was Zach Wilson, where you say, we know the Jets' defense is good. We saw that again last night on Sunday Night Football. Mm -hmm. But they should have figured out a way to not let Brees Hall pop a 70-yard run, just like he did a year ago when they played the Jets. And they might have won that game. And so, it's you know, shoulda, coulda, woulda. That's the story of the NFL. But I do think they're a better team than their record indicates. At the same time, as Sean Payton quotes his his mentor, Bill Parcells, all the time, Bill said, you are what your record says you are, right? (laughs) And so... The, the fact is they they have good pieces. They've been running the ball extremely well. And Sean Payton needs to figure out how to lean on that, maybe even a little more than he has. And it's his own fault because he's a play caller. And he'll admit that at times he's given up on the run or gotten away from it. But they've been running the ball with really good, especially the advanced metrics. And I'm not smart enough to figure all that stuff out, but people that understand it tell me they're running their advanced running numbers are even better than what just the straightforward numbers are. And so, how they can lean on that and then allow Russ just to make plays when given the chance versus relying on Russ to carry the team and and let the defense do what it's done these last few weeks and and throughout a good chunk of the season that Miami game notwithstanding then they should they should be just fine and, and continue to trend in the right direction.
0: We're with Brandon Crystal on Sports 1440. So Brandon, what kind of job do you think Sean Payton has done so far in, you know, a half season or so of work? What kind of grade would you give him?
2: give them a solid C-plus to B-minus, and the only reason that that grade wouldn't be higher is because of those wins, right? And Like we just talked about, if they were if they were 5-4 and four going in tonight, or 6-3, and three or, or something in that, then you'd probably give them some sort of A, right? Especially with how bad they've been. And it's funny, they're going to see Vaughn Miller for the first time since they traded them two years ago, and Vaughn obviously is the Super Bowl 50 MVP, and it's just a reminder that, hey, that wasn't that long ago, but it was seven years ago. And while no one's had the run that the Patriots had with the, with the two Tom Brady three peeps, the, the Broncos ha- hadn't had too many years, especially in the Mike Shanahan era where or really since Pat Boland had bought the team in 1984, speaking of, you know, obviously a great Canadian, uh, that, that they hadn't been under 500. So it, to not be anywhere near the playoffs these last handful of years, is really tough to swallow here in Broncos country. You know, we we talked about the Avalanche, the Nuggets are the best team in basketball, certainly the defending champs and and our favorites, again, are right at at the top to repeat. And everyone is ecstatic, right? But this is a Broncos town first and foremost. It always will be. The numbers indicate that. The the numbers with, you know, streaming, uh, whether it be articles or or videos or or podcasts, whatever it may be, all the metrics will tell you that, The Broncos still move the needle. As exciting as Deion Sanders is with what he had going on, especially early in the year at the University of Colorado, nothing touches what the Broncos do, especially when they're winning. And so I think Sean Payton understands that tradition. Sean wants to do everything a certain way, and that's a good thing, maybe a good and bad thing about having someone that's done it a certain way for so long and was able to really carve out such a a huge footprint there in New Orleans where the Bensons were pretty hands-off and they gave him everything he needed that he he knows how he thinks everything should be run. And he's right most of the time. There are certain, certainly you know examples we can point to where things didn't go well in New Orleans, or maybe he's relying on that a little too much. But if he can marry what he wants to do with the richest ownership group in the NFL and second most money of any owner in, in pro sports here in America, then he'll get to where he wants to get to. The question is how quickly can he get there?
0: Brandon Crystal with us on Sports 1440. A lot of Denver Bronco fans in Edmonton, Brandon, just because of Pat Bolin being from Edmonton and then the longtime owner of the Broncos. Uh, You had a post uh, with uh, a question to Russ Wilson about Vaughn Miller with a a bond through a mutual friend. Can you kind of expand on that and let our listeners know all about that?
2: Yeah, so Trevor Moad is a guy that both those two became really close with. I think he was... In a lot of ways, kind of a, a life coach, if, if you will, is the best way to describe him. I think there was, you know, mm-hmm. training aspects to what he did, but so much of it was was just about the approach to to life and everything else. You know, he was known as a as a brain trainer, if you will, and mm-hmm. so it was about the the mental side of of approaching life and athletics, and and he was really. Russell Wilson's kind of consigliere, for lack of a better word, but Vaughn became really close with him as well. And because those guys would see each other at the Pro Bowl every year, I'm not exactly sure how they both ended up, you know, friendly with Trevor and close with Trevor. Hmm. Um, but they lost him just a couple of years ago, and and so he's somebody who Russ brings up all the time in press conferences. And Vaughn last week when he talked about returning against the Broncos and or. or Play, playing the Broncos for the first sentence being traded, and all this. He also mentioned some Trevor, some Trevor Moad quote that he had towards the end of his <laughs> press conference, and and so it, he's, he's a guy that you can certainly find his book and and mm-hmm. all all of that online. He was a best-selling author, and and SI I think called him the world's uh, best sports brain trainer. <laughs> right, so we always talk about the mental side. that becomes so much more prevalent. Trevor Moad was kind of at the forefront in terms of that sports psychology and somebody very close to, to Russ and Vaughn. And Like I mentioned, I mean, Russ went to the Pro Bowl nine times in ten years, and, and I remember talking to Vaughn a couple of years ago, uh, and this might have been a year or two before he was traded since probably year 9, year 10, because he got traded in the middle of year 11, or I guess whatever it was. I'm not gonna math. Yeah, middle yeah. of year 11. Uh, he said he's sick of going to the Pro Bowl and seeing Melvin Ingram every year because <laughs> that's what he'd see from the Chargers, but also seeing Russell Wilson almost every year. Uh, he wanted to get back to Super Bowls, which he obviously did with the Rams. And so these guys got to, to know each other, and then they saw each other at Courtland Sutton's wedding. <laughs> but, yeah, Trevor Moad is is certainly a, a huge part of the way Russ approaches life in, in sports. and sports. And I think that Vaughn, while he maybe doesn't talk about Trevor as much, I know how much he meant to him and, and how big a, an influence right. he was on Vaughn as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Brandon Crystal uh, on Sports 1440 covers the Denver Broncos. How would you... Uh, assessor how well is Alex Singleton playing for the Broncos defense Alex Singleton was in the Canadian Football League for three years played great great football for the Calgary Stampeders uh, won the great cup with the Stampeders 2018 spent three years here was in the NFL before had one of those three year contracts that you know once it expired had nowhere to go but then ended up in Philadelphia and now with Denver so what kind of player has he been for the Broncos
2: So it's funny. One of my best friends in the world is from Philly, and he lives in L.A. He can't gamble on sports, so (laughs) we talk almost every day putting in joint bets together, right? In fact, I was talking to him when you guys called about how we were going to approach Monday Night Football. But he's a huge Eagles fan, and he hates Alex Singleton. And I'm like, well, Alex led your team in tackles two years in a row. And he goes, yeah, because they were running at him. All he did last year, after not even starting five games— was lead the Broncos in tackles, and was fifth in the NFL in tackles. So imagine that, only starting 12 Mm -hmm. games, playing spot duty, filling stuff, and they wanted him back. I know the defense wanted him back. Vance Joseph came in as the now defensive coordinator after being a head coach a few years ago, and Alex Singleton was a big key to what they wanted to do. Josie Jewell, who I mentioned, got hurt against Miami, came back a week or two later. They let Alex keep the signal – you know, with, with the mm-hmm. play caller uh, receiver in his helmet, because he's a part of what they want to do going forward. They gave him that three-year deal. He's a great guy, great in the community, great with Special Olympics. That obviously means a lot mm-hmm. to him because he has a, a sister who has some. Uh, I, I guess she is a Special Olympian, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, and and uh, and all of that. And he's just been he's been great, and so it, it's good to have him here. He's going to be around at least mm-hmm. next year, if yeah. not two more years and maybe beyond that, but, but I'm a big Alex Singleton fan and and he's kind of picked up right where he left off last year. He's been really, really good and a a big key to what they do. He's a tackling machine and maybe he'll finally get some recognition. He obviously got it with that three year, $18 million contract and he was able to buy a house and kind of feel like he could settle down. But maybe he'll end up in a Pro Bowl as well, especially if his defense continues to play the way it does if he has some big games in these primetime games coming yeah, up. You know, Alex has been great here.
0: You know, Brian, you got to get your buddy on board with him because, yeah, he's been a good player for sure in a long time. So what do you make of this game? Can Can Denver pull off an upset tonight in Buffalo?
2: I, I think so, and I think that's because Pat Sertan can make life difficult on Stephon Diggs. You know, we talk about Von Miller, and to say that there's the next Von Miller, whether it's here or anywhere else, is, is one high praise and two, uh, pretty hard to. Duplicate how good Vaughn's been, right, especially his time here in Denver. But they have a kid in Baron Browning who's in year three out of Ohio State who's been oft injured, and he was inside linebacker, outside linebacker. They moved him around there with the Buckeyes. They had him at inside linebacker when he first got here. In year two, they made him strictly an outside linebacker. And he's been banged up and finally got in the last two games the Broncos played before the bye week. Mm-hmm. Was second in the NFL in pressures. He had a couple sacks and a, and a forced fumble and has that same unique body bend like Vaughn Miller. And so if Baron Browning can make life difficult on Josh Allen, who, you know, like Patrick Mahomes, who they just beat, can not only make plays on time, he certainly makes a lot of plays off schedule where he extends plays, uses his legs, and then rockets the ball with that huge arm or runs for big yards. But if Baron Browning and the rest of the pass rush can get there and coverage can hold up, and I know these are kind of obvious mm-hmm. statements, I think the Broncos' defense can keep them in the game. And then the Bills haven't been great against the run. They're really good on defense. Their numbers are good. They're good with sacks. They've been okay with takeaways. But they're also really banged up. They're without their best tackler and Matt Milano. He's done for the year. Their best corner in tredavius White's done for the year. I think the other starting corner is banged up. The safeties have been banged up, and they're not the youngest two safeties, even though they're both all pros. So, it won't surprise me if the Broncos win. I'm not sure I'm picking them. I think I had to for our for our social media. Uh, and I'm going to do a pregame show here coming up in about 90 minutes for a couple of hours. Yeah. But it won't surprise me if they win. I wouldn't bet the house on it or bet my <laughs> mortgage. But, but I, I think it's going to be a closer game than the touchdown or seven and a half that I've seen coming out of Vegas. I think it's going to be close. But I'm not here to tell you, oh, the Broncos are going to go in and shock the world. Now, they did beat the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And they had the Chiefs dead to rights. Or they were right there with them, I guess on Thursday Night Football. So if you can do that, like we saw yesterday, where there were five game-winning field goals at the time expired, we know this league is a, is a much closer league than maybe it once was. And it's really exciting for fans, really hard to bet on, but really exciting for fans. And so I think we should see a good game tonight that's going to be closer than maybe the folks in Vegas think.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting to watch this one. So thanks very much for your time, Brandon. Appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight.
2: Thanks, Kevin. Talk to you
0: soon. All right, that's Brandon Crystal covering the Denver Broncos. It's the Broncos and the Bills Monday Night Football. Five NFL teams last on Sunday, well, last night and Sunday afternoon and morning went to the final play of the game, Duke. Never happened before. Five games, final play, field goal, wins it. Did you bet on some ties yesterday, Duke? I
3: bet on... A number of underdogs oh. yesterday. I love the dogs on the board, including the Cleveland Browns, okay. the Houston Texans, the Minnesota Vikings, so you all have- of whom who came out victorious on the money line. Not just to cover their spreads, but I had them on the money line. So I had them what? all. And here's the here's the kicker. Wait for it. So then I also threw in Seahawks who were minor favorites over the Commanders. I've had them on the money line, and the Niners on the money line over. The uh, Jags, Jags because I love the Niners coming off the bye. So I had all those underdogs I just mentioned, those two favorites, and the L.A. Chargers to oh. cover two and a half points. They lose on the final field goal, lose by three. Parlay out the window. What was it worth? Or can you see? Uh, I can't remember what the what the total odds were, but I mean, hey, as soon as you throw that many underdog yes. money, like it was, it was sizable for sure. So thankfully, I still made out all right on my day because I had all those dogs as a single bets, which is the much more intelligent way to bet on sports uh, instead of just throwing your money away on parlays, just straight bets is much smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was good. And obviously seeing my own team come away with a win, the Texans and top, uh, uh, top three MVP candidate, CJ Stroud, um, have <laughs> another, another great game too. But it, it was just a really exciting day of football. It was. All those close finishes, both slates. Um, the Giants are probably the worst <sighs> team in football, I think by a very wide margin at this point. That was
0: tough to watch. So um, that spread, remember we were talking about it at the beginning 17 and, the week, we, and a half points is what it closed out. Yeah, it started and it at 14. covered it easily. Oh. <laughs> was it covered at halftime? Was yeah, it
3: was not close. So. I
0: mean what do you say about the Giants? I mean, where are they gonna go now?
3: Here's the only thing I'll say about that game because the Giants are in a tough spot. They're banged up. Uh Tommy DeVito playing quarterback for them. Good lord. <laughs> Um, but I had just on Friday or Saturday acquired C.D. Lamb in a trade oh. in uh, in fantasy, and uh, had so himself- you give up had himself a pretty good day. Yeah, had- um, a second round draft pick and Gus Edwards. This is a, a keeper league.
0: Yeah, but I mean that's not that much. No, you, I you pull I, this guy's you know my, what, drawers down.
3: My wide receivers have been decimated by injury. Justin Jefferson being the main one. Um, so I needed help there. I was willing to give wow. up a high draft pick and Edwards has been a big boomer bust running back. How, he only, he just scores. He's goal line I Gus it, Edwards.
0: Who are you making this trade with?
3: Funnily enough, uh, named Reed, Reed Roland, he's probably listening right now. Shout out Reed. Uh, he actually was playing for the Irma Aces on Friday night in <laughs> Delburn against my senior outlaws.
0: Well, did he take a puck to the head or
3: something? No, he lit us up, which was, I was, I didn't feel too bad about, uh. Taking his lunch yeah. from him on this trade and having it e- yield. Uh, How, hey,
0: where's he? He's from Irma. Sorry,
3: I I lied. That's that's who I played this week oh. was Reed. The trade I actually can't remember who I made
0: the trade with. Maybe my good friend Uncle Spanish. I can't remember. Well, listen, Spanish, uh, if you're not getting a first round for CD Lamb, come on, man, wake up, wake up. Yeah,
3: I I was happy to have it and uh, another big weekend in fantasy for me. As long as the combination of Josh Allen. Javante Williams and Cortland Sutton do not put up 70 points tonight, which is not out of the realm of possibility, but it is unlikely. As long as that does not happen, and also Dalton Kincaid does not put up 40 points, then I will go 2-0 and be, I think, the highest-scoring team again for the second week in a row in both my leagues, or very, very nearly the highest-scoring team. So I'm so, rolling right now.
0: Boy, yeah, well, I'll be 0-11. <laughs> I played Big Baldy. and uh, So how about Big Baldy? So he has Kelsey on a bye week. He's got a great team. He mortgaged his whole team last year. He's been sucking it in this league for 10 years, decided to trade all his picks, had a bunch of picks this year. So he has Kelsey on a bye, and I'm going, I can. there's a chance maybe. Of course, he has Prescott going. And then his fill-in tight end just for the week is McBride out of Arizona, pumps up 21 points. It's just not my year, Duke.
3: What's You mentioned the Cardinals and them getting the win over the Falcons. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another team that I – had a strong feeling about, but was not confident enough to also include in my selection of underdogs. So Mm. it was the weekend for the dogs, man.
0: Oh, this fantasy football is getting to me. Uh, When we come back, we will wrap things up. We'll talk a little bit of CFL, a little bit of Golden Bears football and an absolutely devastating loss on Saturday. That's coming up on Sports 1440 right after the break. Ah, uh, text coming in uh 1833 401 1440. One of Duke's buddies says uh this is Andrew FH ninety eight. Love hearing you chirp Spanish. That's the guy that made the trade?
3: Spanish, yeah. I went back and checked. Yes. Yeah, Spanish terrible. is who I made the trade with. Uh his team is terrible. He's but, he's selling everything off for spare parts for the future. I
0: get it, but a second round you would you have given up a first round pick? Yes. No. Oh, come on. C D
3: Lamb. First round picks, man. And you get it,
0: to keep Lamb for how long?
3: But here so I don't I I didn't even check this because I was comfortable enough with a trade as was. Well, of about, course you were. About where like I don't know if I'll be able to keep C D Lamb because it depends on where he, like we don't you're not allowed to use a keeper on a first through third round pick, I think. Okay, so yeah, so basically yeah, yeah, yeah. basically you the the way the league's set up is that you really want to get some late round steals. Like me taking CJ Stroud in the second last round, I'm laughing.
0: I get it, but I mean, if you, you, I assume you made this trade because you can keep C.D. Lamb.
3: I made the trade because I'm kind of in a middling team and I needed oh. some wide receiver help. What's so F.H. ninety eight? So that's Farmhouse, which <laughs> is the name of my fraternity. I was a member of Andrew uh, ninety eight initiate myself twenty thirteen, Spanish. Five years prior to myself, Spanish's last year was my first year. Very like, good friend like, of mine.
0: Was this like Animal House or Belushi no, or not,
3: what? not quite to that extreme. We did have a lot of fun uh, during my time at the U of A, the uh, local establishments we were regulars at. But uh, but otherwise, no, it's just it basically the collection of guys that join this particular organization, much like myself coming from small towns, farming backgrounds, ag backgrounds, interest in agriculture, mm-hmm. moved to the big city, not really sure what to do with ourselves. And you've got a, a kind of common ground with a lot of these guys. So um, the peak, the one year in the house, we had 17 guys living in it. You're that right. was quite the ride. I think the legal capacity was actually only 16. I li- I slept in a room that had no windows in the basement, which is illegal, but <laughs> yes, I is. I was the president at the time and we just like we're like if we can get one more guy in here for some extra money for the chapter, I'll happily live in what was technically the library, although it didn't get very many visitors. So we were busy doing other things.
0: Mark Spector posting a lot of cameras to cover the news conference today, but on Woodcroft, Connor McDavid says he never lost the room. No way. Never lost the room. No way. Text 1833 401 1440. CFL Saturday. I watched the I was working in the garage, Duke, and just finishing the lights out in the backyard. So I had the garage TV going. The lights, by the way, are top notch. I, when, I wait, can't wait to see. When you by see, see them. these lights, Duke, you're going to
3: go, Wow. Anyway Like are you like the, You're going full Griswold Or what uh,
0: It's different I, I just invented And made a few things That you're, you'll you go so Invented the, I did well, you, When you see it I can't it, wait to see it yeah, I you're can't gonna wait go. to see it This is I actually had to make An adjustment Because I thought Because it was too high And I thought Well if the wind catches This thing man This could be in big trouble But I think we'll be okay So Watch the Montreal game More than The The uh, second game So I, that's just the day How the day went and we talked about it if there were going to be in a little bit of an upset Montreal Alouette so I'm actually I'm, I'm happy for Jason Moss really happy that Jason Moss has the opportunity to win a great cup as a head coach I mean they had a perfect game plan and let's just hang on though They're, they had a good game plan but Toronto played poorly and the Montreal defense, the amount of turnovers that they created and just big, big plays. Montreal look good. See if they can continue on against Winnipeg in the final Great Cup. Saturday also Golden Bears football in UBC. Did you were you able to watch any of it, or just listen, or just hear reports, or anything like
3: that? I, I, I checked in on uh, our good friend Connor Hood's uh, post game email blast that he sends to me to keep me up to date on all uh, U of A athletics. And so as soon as you see the final score, of course, you immediately um, get kind of that pit in your stomach about it being a close game, and then you dive into a little bit more, and it kind of just uh, pulls on your strings even a little bit more. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I I didn't watch. Any sports on Saturday outside? Of the, I actually listened to the yeah. Oilers game Saturday night. In my drive back, I was out uh, pounding, pounding <laughs> spikes all day, building corrals at the wow. farm. So, but no tough, tough <laughs> loss for the Bears. What a great season! Tough to see it end this way, but uh, I think they can all hang their hats pretty uh, proudly on what they accomplished this
0: year. So Golden Bears up twenty-seven twenty-one, less than a minute to go. They have the ball on on or about the fifteen yard line at UBC. About a minute left. Backup running back comes in. There's some miscommunication between the running back and the quarterback, and it results in a fumble. Having said that, you have a six-point lead. All you really needed to do was, I guess, take a knee. You don't have to force anything. If you take a knee, you basically have the best field goal kicker in the country, ready to put you up by nine to make it a two-score game. From there, it couldn't turn into from what was looking to be a sure victory to a sure loss. So turnover, but you've got 95 yards to go. 95 yards to go. And the Bears' defense, and I was talking to a couple guys, I said, they must have just went, we have this. I mean, the game's over. We have this. How come there wasn't – they couldn't reset quickly enough. They gave up a big, big play, and then uh, UBC marches the ball down the field Then on a third and – I don't know what it was, 12 or 13 yards, maybe third and third and 10, call it. It's, I might be off by a bit. Uh, touchdown and then win it on the point after. But the Bears were that close to winning the Hardy Cup for the first time since 1981. And from what I've talked to some people – as you can imagine, the team is just gutted, devastated because they were so close. I mean, you're counting the victory out. I mean, you have the ball, 15 yards away. You don't. Need, you don't need a touchdown. You don't. You don't need anything. You know, run another play. If you, even if you run another play, you're going to eat some time off the clock. You just feel so bad for those guys. Just feel terrible. Text coming in. Oh, oh. <laughs> Is that? Oh, I thought it was a different. Uh, you better mention this one, dude. I don't yeah. Know. So, so
3: John yes. Gillie, a regular Texas the program out by Westlock, there, big time canola grower. Uh, his son was uh, living in farmhouse at the same time as myself, and he uh, John texted in saying, "How about the queen size bunk beds at uh, farmhouse?" And yes, uh, so one of my it? very good friends, Ryan McLaughlin, he was living in a double room one semester, but he refused to give up his queen size mattress that he had grown accustomed to um, in years prior. So he over the summer. Out of steel pipe, built and welded, a queen size bunk bed that was brought in in parts and just slid together um, ends to ends, and it was far <laughs> like they had to use ratchet straps from corners well, yeah. up and down each side to stabilize it's steel. it. Steel, there's a lot of weight on there. It was it was something, and uh, and it stayed in there for a full full calendar year. Ryan and uh, our other good friend uh, Miles Woke Jr. from out by uh, Minburn area, they lived in there, happy as clams. And it it like it is something I have never seen before,'ll probably mm-hmm. never see again and uh yeah, Ryan McLaughlin, very crafty young man and mm. uh and yeah, we were all surprised to see it oh, so many and i I replied to John saying, yeah, that was just one of many great stories to come out of literally just that one person, Ryan McLaughlin, let alone everyone else that uh lived in the house over my four years doing uh being in there, so it was always tons of laughs.
1: And uh, I recommend it to
3: anybody else. Uh, Anybody listening, if you've got kids heading to the U of A this year, next, whatever, I recommend checking out the U of A Agriculture Club and farmhouse fraternity for sure.
0: It had to have been like animal house. Like it had to There have were
3: been. moments. There were moments for sure.
0: So what did you guys have like a was there a rival that you pit were pitted up against or something? Well, we
3: were kind of the black sheep of the what you call the Greek community, all the fraternities because we didn't even use Greek letters. Like farmhouse is a word, <laughs> but it was actually an acronym and each letter kind of stood for one of our, you know, quote-unquote values and things, which was great, but nobody really liked us because we were so different uh-huh. than them. They're all you're more traditional frat guys how, and we're how, just a bunch of hillbillies yeah but how
0: many okay how many hillbillies were there how many of so you
3: the guys? total membership during my time ranged anywhere up about 30 to 35 guys and then we had anywhere between 12 to 17 guys living in the house at any given point of time. so not everybody lived in the house uh, some guys lived off so campus or in their own forgive places my
0: stupidity and everything because mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I don't even have my grade 12 but <laughs> well
3: you faked, it. You faked <laughs>
0: it yeah i've lied and faked <laughs> it so can you have any, is there any females you can have in these fraternities or what? No,
3: so they're sororities okay. or actually, funny you should ask, Kevin. There, We had sort of a, a sister sorority. They were the same thing, like agriculture background, and it was called Ceres. They've since changed their name because they to detach from the international entity, whatever. But they weren't even technically a sorority. They were called a women's fraternity, which doesn't make any sense because the name fraternity means... Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. So whatever. But yes, lots of uh lots of young women from egg backgrounds in series and they were all very good friends of ours.
0: Yeah. And and, uh, and without a shadow of a doubt, this is where the concept of farming for love came from.
3: There was some farming for love between <laughs> the uh the two chapters. I'll say that for sure. All right. I, lots of lots of actually <laughs> men and women from those two groups get like start dating and they're st- like married mm-hmm. together, children. I believe tons that. of great love stories coming out. I believe out of, that. Uh, the Greek community at the U of A,
0: <laughs> I believe that. Um, will there be a ton of feel good emotion on the ice tonight at Rogers Place? Oilers take on New York Islanders for a six thirty puck drop. We will have tons more coverage on the Oilers moving forward uh, today and tomorrow. Uh, I'd like to thank all our guests and uh, co-host Laurian Munzer from eight to ten every Monday. Sean Brown, Mark Specter, Craig Button, Arthur Staple. We checked in with uh, Wilf Brooks. And uh, Brandon Crystal to tee up tonight's Monday Night Football game. Thanks, everybody, for chiming in, sending their texts and uh, and uh, being a part of our show. Coming up at the top of the hour is Fantasy Frenzy with? Uh, Ra- former Ra- Ep T-Bird. <laughs> Connor Alley and the Duke of Delburn uh, from the far, the FH 98, what, 98?
3: 98 was Andrew's, oh, mine was thir- FH13. 13,
0: okay. yeah. yeah, it's it was a scene, let me tell you that. Uh, that's coming up at noon, uh, the lowdown with Alan Mitchell. Noon to 2, and then 2 o'clock to 6. Jason Greger drives us home on the Jason Greger Show. Thanks so much for watching, or well, thanks so much for listening today. We will see you back here bright and early tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Grant Fuhrer will be our co-host and... Ch- Dave Lumley will be one of our special guests, former teammate. Uh, Once again, thanks for listening. Up next, Fantasy Frenzy. Before that, here's the Duke with a sports 1440 update.